one last week was quite a lot to take in, you know, when we consider all that had happened um, with David's life and, um, you know, where Nathan had to confront him on his sin, thought he had gotten away with it, you know, um, Uriah was, was gone and they, uh, you know, Nathan came with a pretty sad uh, scenario for him of uh, talking about this precious little lamb in a poor family. And that it was like a child to them, and the kids played with it, and, and a rich man didn't um, didn't care about that. When somebody came to visit, he had all kinds of lambs and sheep, and he takes from the poor man. And uh, uh, David gets enraged and says, "That man must die." And you know, he like that's it, and he's going to repay this, this, and this, and everything. And Prophet Nathan had to tell him, "You're the man." You know, and in a bad way, right? You know, every guy wants to hear, "Oh, you're the man." You know, like, like you're the man. You know, this was this was in the total opposite direction. It's like you're the guy that did it, and and his heart was broken, and he wrote uh, quite a powerful song. Uh, so we spent the whole evening just on that song, and so now we're going to pick up in Psalm 52, and uh, and this is a tough one. You know, this morning we talked about uh, Simon the sorcerer, and tonight we're going to talk about a despicable man named uh, Doeg the Edomite. And uh, we're going to actually, before we get into Psalm 52, I'd like you all to turn with me to First Samuel. Uh, you can kind of set on 22 because that's where we're going to uh, going to be. But First um, Samuel 22. But as you're turning there, I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll just kind of start setting the stage a little bit for for what's going on here. So Saul is after David, and he's so mad about you know at David that David's not there that he's mad at his son Jonathan because he knows that Jonathan and David. Our friends and and he had already tried to stick uh, David. Uh, when you read through, Saul had an opportunity uh, to stick David to a wall uh, with a spear, and so he's also treating his son with that type of of hatred. And um, so uh, Jonathan got up from the table, and they had something planned uh, that uh, uh, Jonathan and David did, where uh, David's like. I'm not going to go eat. <laughs> and when I'm not there, I need you to make up a story. And, uh, you know, if your dad goes along with it, great. But if he doesn't, I need to know. So I'm really summarizing this. Go back and read 20, 21, and 22 but, um, of First of Samuel. But um, Saul didn't like the answer he got and because he was planning on killing David. And uh, he gets mad at his son. So uh, Saul, uh, so Jonathan, he and David had this plan like, hey, when you go and you tell your dad this, I'm going to be out in the field. I'm going to be hiding out there. Um, and you need to, you know, uh, come out and give me uh, the sign that they had they had figured out. So uh, when uh, Jonathan knew that Saul wasn't happy with him, he left. He stormed out from the dinner table and and uh, he goes and he grabs some arrows and he takes a young child with him and he has the kid go chase the arrows and then he shoots one super far and uh, he tells the kid go you know hurry up you know make haste and, and and get down there so he's telling him hurry and go get what but that was actually code for David that you need to get out of here like he's after your life go and so then he grabs everything gives it to the young the young boy and and um, the boy runs in. So David got the message, but but Jonathan went out and met him out there, and they you know fell on each other's necks, and um, just and, and just wept. You know they had uh, quite a uh, you know a brotherly kiss. Um, unfortunately, there's a movement 
you know, out there that tries to say that they had a romantic relationship. That wasn't the case at all. These two were bonded like brothers to each other. And uh, so they wept, and they knew that David couldn't stick around anymore, and they had that, that brotherly bond together. And uh, so David left, and David really didn't have anywhere to go. So in uh, verse, sorry, in 21, David goes to Nom, uh, Nob, and, and uh, we're going to actually study together in 22. So I'll summarize what's happening in 21. But David goes to um, to Nob to a, a priest named Ahimelech, and Ahimelech's afraid. Uh, because you know anybody of David's stature wouldn't normally be traveling alone or with a very small group of people. Uh, that was not customary for them to do so. So when he saw that David was uh, was you know, pretty much alone, um, he asked David, like, "What is going on?" And David tells him he's basically on a secret mission from uh, from the king and. Uh, um, you know, he's in a situation here that uh, that he just he needs some help. He needs some food. He needs some bread. There's no common bread. Uh, so he gives him the show bread, which would be holy bread set aside as as an offering to the Lord. And, and that was all that they had. So this is quite a thing that's happening here. It's not like, hey, here's your your loaf of you know wonder bread here and have a good day, buddy. I mean, it was it was a special uh, th that bread was set aside as an act of worship, and uh, but in uh, in this case, uh, Ahimelech knew that it was needed and and gave it to him. So, um, you know, as far as the secret mission goes, we can go. Oh, David lied, but David's life was on the line, and uh, so and there were other people around, and we're going to see that here pretty in just a moment. Is that other people were listening also? So it wasn't just David and Ahimelech talking, as others could hear also and, and see what was going on. So um, in, uh, in verse 7 of 21, if you have it right there, it says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, um, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. Uh, and so uh, verse 8, and David said to Ahimelech, uh, is there here um, on hand a spear or sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor weapons with me because the king's business required haste. You know, uh, Ahimelech knows there's something going on here. You know, that um, there, there's a little bit more involved. I have to believe that. And uh, Himelech's like, hey, you're David. You know, he gives him the showbread. And I love the answer here. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, uh, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there was none other, uh, no other except uh, that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So that this is the setting. So Doeg the Edomite's been introduced to us. He was there listening to what was happening, right? And David says, "I don't have a sword. I don't have any." You know, it was just I had to walk out of the off the the room right then. You know, so he goes, he goes, "I got Goliath's sword," and David's like, "Yes, that'll work." You know, last time David had that in his hand, he chopped the head of Goliath off, and uh, uh, Goliath had been making blasphemous. Um, uh, declarations about God and blaspheming God and uh, making fun of Israel. And David went down. You guys know the story, right? David went down and, oh, this armor is too heavy. Yeah, just give me some stones and sinks a stone right in Goliath's head. 
takes his head off, you know, and because uh, he had been sitting there just for days, just calling out, blaspheming God. And he's like, no, this isn't happening anymore. And he, he sinks a stone into his head and takes his head off. So that type of sword, you know, if, if you want to remember any type of victory, like, oh, this is the one that, uh, you know, everybody knows that 2000 or now here we are, uh, you know, thousands of years uh, later, still reading and studying that together uh, here tonight and discussing it. So David fled from there and, and uh, went to Gath and he had to pretend like he's crazy uh, so that they wouldn't kill him. And uh, the king there uh, in, in Gath uh, said, you know, to them, he's like, Achish is his name. And, um, and uh, they, uh, he's like, get this guy. He's like spitting all over his beard and stuff. And they're like, get him out. Of, I don't need another crazy guy around here. Get him out of here. So David's faking all that you know, to preserve his life. So he's in dire straits. David's trying to preserve his life here. And so he's trying to run and, and get away. And uh, so uh, we see just a brief thing in the first five verses is there are 400 men that, that join David. Uh, so against a whole army, 400 is not a lot. But uh, when you got the Lord on your side, 400 is sometimes even more than enough. We've seen God do that. So uh, verse 6 is where I wanted to get to Second uh, Samuel chapter uh, uh, sorry, 1 Samuel 22, uh, verse 6 says, When Saul heard that David and uh, the men who were with him uh, had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a, a teramisk tree in, in uh, Ramah. And uh, his spear was in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood up about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you uh, all captains and th of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me uh, to, that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is no one, uh, not one of you, who is sorry for me. I mean, this guy's playing that little violin hard, if you haven't picked up on that yet, uh, that is sorrow, uh, sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So, so Saul's saying here, like, you guys are all against me. Nobody's really on my side. Uh, you know, you can probably see my mom used to call it in, fr in French, you call it a babin, you know, the, the big lip and, you know, stick the lip out. And it's like, oh, you have a, I think that's what a babin, I don't know, that's what she'd say. You know, when we get sad, you know, stick our tongue out, my, our, our, our lip out. And I used to tell my kids, you know, you're going to step on that thing. It's, you know, it's hanging down there quite a bit. You know, so here here's Saul playing, the, like I said, the small violin for himself. He wants everybody to feel bad for him. And, oh, you guys aren't really for me, you know, all those things. And uh, so he's he's playing that, uh, that little card there. And, and then look here, uh, verse 9 says, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he uh, inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Saul sent to call Ahimelech uh, the priest, uh, the son of Ahitub, and, he, and all his father's house, the priests 
who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, O son of Ahitub. Uh, he answered, Here I am, Lord, my Lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of the Lord for him that he should rise up against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable uh, in your house? Uh, did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of my house uh, in the house of my father. Uh, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also, uh, also is with David. And because they knew uh, where he fled and, and he did and did not tell me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. I mean, this is this is where it gets crazy. I mean, Doeg is, is he just dimed them all out, you know, told told on uh, on Ahimelech. And uh, Ahimelech's defending himself, saying, you know, why would I, uh, you know, remember, he was already scared. He was worried and he knew something was up, but he didn't know what exactly. But, uh, you know, he's he, you know, he knows who David is. And he's like, why wouldn't I trust David? And uh, so he he ends up giving those things to David. But because of what what Doeg the Edomite had said, uh, you know, Saul's enraged and he's got all these people uh, brought to him and he tells the guards to kill them. And uh, men who fear God said, no, <laughs> we're not going to do this. We're not going to kill these priests. Look at verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women and children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, uh, named uh, Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul uh, had killed the king's priest. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons uh, of your father's house. Stay with me and do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life but with me you shall be safe. Doeg the Edomite is an awful man. He is a wicked, wicked man. He's responsible for the death of 85 priests and the whole city, men, women, children, babies. All of them died because of this guy. That's awful. I mean, they, that that's a bad dude. You know, if you if you think of somebody that, that is, uh, you, you know, you're trying to, trying to, you know, think of, you know, some of the bad people that are listed in the Bible, Doeg the Edomite's one of them. So we went there and spent a significant amount of time there. 
just to set the stage, because if we don't really understand who Doeg is, we can just read that and not understand what David's saying in Psalm 52. So now we'll begin our study in Psalm 52, uh, verse 1. And uh, before that, it says, To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Verse 1. Why do you boast an evil, O mighty man? This is about Doeg. The goodness of God endures uh, continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, uh, you, dis, uh, you deceitful tongue. So, I mean, he, David is just blasting this guy. You know, when he's sitting down, pen and paper, and he's remembering who Doeg the Edomite is, and he's thinking of all the evil and the wickedness that, that Doeg uh, was tied to and what he had done here. Um, the, this is what he has to say about him. Your tongue devises destruction, you know, like a sharp razor working deceitfully, you know, that, you know, you were, you were the guy you're responsible for all this wickedness and, and everything that happened here. Look at what he says in verse five, God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take, a, take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, strengthened himself in his wickedness. I mean, these are some awful things to be said about this man. You know, would we want a summary to include this about us? You know, but this is a wicked man responsible for the death of 85 priests and a whole town. Like everybody got wiped out, killed by the edge of the sword, violently murdered because Doeg the Edomite wanted to, you know, please Saul. You know, he was, this was an opportunity for him to, you know, gain favor with Saul. Uh, so no doubt he was, uh, he had wicked motivations here. And, and, and look at uh, verse seven. It says, here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. You know, when 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 this man here not only doesn't make God his strength, but he trusts in uh, abundant riches and he strengthens himself in his wickedness. I mean, you you know that's a recipe for disaster. This guy's life is going to uh, just end violently, and things aren't going to go well for him. Verse eight says, "But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good." So he, David is calling out Doeg, and then there's the opposite. David is saying here, uh, "But you know, the Lord has made me like a green olive tree that." You know, this guy's trusting in his abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in, in, in wickedness. Opposite, David, who is who is uh, innocent in all of this, says, I mean, he did say when we were reading there that he was responsible for everyone dying there. He felt bad. He, he was carrying the guilt. But this all fell on a wicked man named Doeg the Edomite. 
Don't don't uh, be mistaken. Uh, you know, David felt bad for what had happened there, but David, in desperation, went to a place he should have been able to go to, and he was provided for by a man that that trusted David. And then this wicked man took this opportunity so that he could, you know, gain a promotion here. And David is saying here, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you um, forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. You know, when you consider the stark contrast, one that trusted in, in riches and uh, in his own strengthen himself in his wickedness. And David is saying here that I'm trusting in the in the mercy of God forever. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna trust God to cover me in his mercy. You guys ever been on a a trip and before you leave you're asking the Lord for travel mercies, right? Because we're trusting God. You know, would you please protect us in your mercy? Keep us safe. David, the same approach, but regarding this whole situation, he knew that he was innocent. He knew that Doeg um, was a wicked, wicked man, and, and David uh, could be uh, in this situation with a, a pure um, conscience. Psalm 53, to the chief musician set to Mahalath, and a contemplation of David here. So uh, my subtitle in my Bible says, Folly of the Godless and the Restoration of Israel. Setting kind of setting a tone for what we're reading here. But uh, David makes a pretty big declaration here in verse 1. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So, you know, in conversations we've had with people that claim uh, that, that God does not exist, that our faith is empty, that uh, we're just the biggest of fools. Um, you know, I love when the scripture says, Hey, if none of this is true, we're the, we're, you know, we're the most pitiable of all. And, uh, we know that's not the case. We do serve the true and living God. So we don't ever have to worry about that. And, uh, you know, even I, I've heard, uh, uh, Chuck Smith give, uh, a, and, um, the question to a man that was arguing with him and, uh, Chuck just said, well, what if you're wrong? <laughs> what if I'm right and you're wrong? And Chuck says, he goes, um, if, if I'm wrong, I've lived a fulfilled life and I'm going to die and be buried and I, my, my faith was in nothing. But at least I lived a fulfilled life, a blessed life. You're miserable and you're wrong. You know, so, you know, just the, and then you got to face a God that you didn't uh, didn't uh, believe in. I loved it. I love the way he, he he approached that. And we can just guys, there are often times and you've heard me say it, you know, we can get into intellectual debates and. And all those things, and oftentimes the person that the it, it, believe me, and you've heard me say this before, Facebook arguments never end with a person going, "Wow, I never knew you were right and I was wrong." Right? How many times does that happen? They're like, "Unfriend," you know, and and you know that's it just rips. What's that? Right? Right? And that that's mostly what happens. And what does it do? It consumes our thoughts. It consumes our mind, and we're sitting there eating dinner together. This happened to me once, and I learned from it one time. It was uh, there was something to do with with the homosexual movement, and I just posted First Corinthians six about you know the the list of people who aren't going to get into heaven, and I said of such were some of you, but you were washed, uh, but you were cleansed, and I was just sharing that. And this guy's like, oh, aren't you a good boy? And they, these things just like provoking, and I'm like, oh, and I'm sitting there eating family uh, eating dinner with my family. Uh, the kids were really young at this point, and I'm like, this is consuming my mind, 
and there's no way this guy's going to change his mind, and I just, I'm done. This was years and years ago, over 10 years ago. But I learned really quick. Most of the keyboard warriors aren't going to change their mind, regardless of how good your argument is, okay? So just save your breath, save your time, save your mind. Go do something productive like split wood or whatever you're going to do. Like, you know, something you'd really not want to do, but it's better than arguing with, uh, with somebody on that. So essentially... All these things, my phone just told me I, I, I finished out 10,000 steps sitting here that I took like 100 steps. So there, I'm a Frenchman. I'm moving my hands and my phone thinks I'm walking. So that's hilarious. I normally I normally wouldn't just disrupt a, a thing here, but I just had to share that, that my phone somehow thinks that I'm moving right now. I'm French and I'm sorry. So, uh, but uh, the, uh, I had to share that, sorry. But so, so what, I guess the encouragement here is don't get caught up in foolish arguments, okay? If somebody's not willing to... Now, sometimes there can be a good debate where you know that somebody's willing to listen. They're like, I don't believe in God because uh, of, of this, this, and this, but I'm willing to listen to you. That's when you sit down. That's when you take the time. But if it's just, I'm going to say this, and you're going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and you're going to say this, and, and then you're all caps yelling at each other online or screaming at each other in person... It's not going to go anywhere, okay? It's a foolish conversation. Just let it go. Seriously. Pray for them. Hope for a better, better conversation later. But the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, and you can, that could be a whole uh, sermon right there. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because there's, when you, when you consider everything, and I've, I've used the body, I've used creation around us, the, the, the fact that uh, we have eyeballs, you know, that we can see through this thing that's that's here. And and the whole process that happens, that what we see is actually upside down, it's getting flipped, and then we can see it and all the all of that stuff, okay? All the simple simple things. We have fingernails, you know, just think of those things. I I, I just there there are things that are like, okay, we have these things, I gotta you know, Sarah has really long ones. And you should see her with her phone. She's it's it's hilarious because she I don't know how she does it. But but you know, we have these things. Um that God gave us. God designed us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And just to look at our bodies, to look at creation around us and the order that is there. Uh, it's just, to me, it's a very simple thing. Somebody says God doesn't exist. So that's a foolish thing to say. Look around us, right? Anyways, um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, they are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. Uh, there is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. That doesn't put mankind in a good light, does it? Look at that. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. I mean, outside of, uh, you know, what's being said here is, you know, God is looking down at wicked men and women. And, and that it says that he's looking and there's no, there are none uh, who does good. No, not one. You know, God, by his grace and mercy, has changed us. And we can look at this and go, not perfect, but I am seeking the Lord now because of what he's done in my life and because the Holy Spirit lives in me and is drawing me to him, right? 
that's it wasn't like in our our goodness we were like one day hey you know what i'm good enough i need to go seek god now no it's the lord calling us to him and uh, he, he might have done that just by drawing us to the word. He might have sent somebody our way. Um, we could have just walked into a church. I don't know what it was. But it's, it's God that is good. It's not man that is good. It's God that calls out to us. And, uh, and then we respond to him. He says, every one of them, verse 3, is turned aside. They have together become corrupt. Uh, you know, that, that corruption. You know, I think here uh, in Maine, it's easy for us to understand corruption or corrosion, right? Uh, you know, look at our vehicles. <clears throat> they get eaten alive on the roads. They become corrupt with what is on there, and it eats them. Uh, you know, I, my wife's vehicle is eight years old. I'm talking to Shane today about, man, I got a rust going here and here, and, you know, we've been driving it for eight years now. And uh, it sounds like, oh, and if you're a man going, hey, you got eight years before it started rusting. That's a problem, right? That's a problem because if we live down south, we could drive that for 30 years, and it, there's no problem with it, right? So we understand corruption, right? We understand how something can corrupt uh, something. And, uh, you know, mankind in and of itself is has together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. So we're not painted in the best of lights here uh, in verses uh, 2 and 3. Verse 4, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? You know, the workers of, of iniquity saying, you know, do they, do they not know anything? Is there nothing there to understand that, uh, that they don't call upon the Lord that they, when they need to? Uh, verse 5 says, there they are there they are in great fear uh, where no fear was for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you you have put them to shame because God has despised them you know so a godless man and, and somebody who's who's wicked that's that's seeking to destroy others uh, David is is saying here that that God is the one you know you will put them to shame because God has despised that wicked heart uh, now you can look back and even even tie this to it's not tied to uh, Psalm 52, same writer, you know. So there's you know it's not far fetched to think that David, you know, might have uh, also been thinking of Doeg here. But um, uh, basically, we we can't really draw that straight line and, and have a hard you know fast to it. But that type of person, he's saying that 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 God um, will despises them. Verse eight, uh, verse six says. Oh, that salvation, the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. But God brings back uh, the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. That God would bring the people back to, a, well, the heart of worship. We just sang the song, right? Bring them back to the place where they would uh, worship, no longer in captivity uh, where we can look at no longer in captivity to sin, and uh, that God would bring us uh, in our hearts back to him. Psalm 54. This is to the chief musician with a string, stringed instrument, a contemplation of David, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is not David hiding within us? So David had people just telling on him all the time. Doeg and now uh, the Ziphites uh, here. So uh, this is this is where um, uh, David is um, is hiding, uh, you know, in the land uh, of the Ziphites, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna go tell 
on Saul, and uh, Saul's like, "Oh, you guys are great. Why don't you go find him and tell me, tell him where he, uh, tell uh, uh, me where he is." And uh, so uh, these guys, another another group of people that think, "Hey, we're going to be able to benefit from this. Let's sell David out." So it, David is writing, saying, "Save me, O God, uh, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength." Uh, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to my words, uh, the words of my mouth. So uh, you know, David here is is saying that he is uh, asking God to be the one to save him. You know, he's he's he understands that it's not by uh, having this mighty uh, great army with him or anything. He knows that the Lord is the one that needs to be his protection, and that's important for us because we can start trusting in those things. You know, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our, the Lord our God, right? Uh, you know, that mindset of we can say, you know, that we, uh, you know, if you consider even Doeg, you know, trusting in his, the multitude of his riches, you know, all of those things that people can place their trust in, that we could place our trust in, they're, they're, we have a template here from David that, hey, these guys are, are telling on me, they're trying to get me killed here, and I'm going to go to the Lord. You know, he could he could go out and try to do all these other things. But he's saying to the Lord, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to my words, uh, the, the words of my mouth. Verse three, for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They uh, have not set God before them. So because they don't honor God, it's easy for them to do this. It's easy, easy for them to turn and say, hey, David's right over here if you want to get it. Uh, because their their hearts aren't set towards the Lord. So they have a, a mindset here that, yeah, they're no big deal uh, that they can do that. But David is saying here that these strangers have risen up against them and uh, they have not set God before them. So David calling out to the Lord saying, God, I need you to be my strength. These guys aren't calling out to you because it says here they've not set God before them. If they had set God before them, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. So you see, you see the lesson in that, that these, uh, these men are trying to benefit from uh, this situation. And, and David is, is calling out to the Lord saying that I, I need you to be my strength. Verse four, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Uh, you know, for, for David, um, anybody uh, who is willing to help him, God is saying that, you know, God is the one saving me and anybody else who wants to help me, God is, is going to uh, uphold uh, them, that the Lord is with those who uphold my life. God's going to be with them. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. Uh, that, that the Lord would repay. Right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right. David is just saying, hey, I'm going to put this at your feet, Lord, and leave it and ask you to be the one that intercedes for me here and, and cut them off. I, I like that in your in your truth where it says that I don't your Bible may say uh, destroy them or in your faithfulness uh, in there. But uh, either way, it's uh, destroy, you know, cut them off uh, in your truth. I like I like that that the truth would be what cuts them off. Verse 6, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. 
So we see the end of the song, right? David's writing all these things. And then here's a time of, of rejoicing and praising the Lord. And that's a key component in our lives that needs to exist, is thanking God for the victory he gives. When we cry out to him and he gives us the victory, we have to be careful to give him the praise for what he has done. Because all too often we can get to a point where we in our lives will just say, oh, cool, that's all done. Uh, now I can move on. And, uh, you know, I got through that this way, this way, and this way. Instead of sitting down and meditating on what had just happened and say, hey, I remember that I even wrote this down in my journal. Uh, if you guys are journalers, I'm not. Um, I'm not a reader and I'm not a journaler. Uh, you know, I read my scriptures and I do my studying and everything, but I've never been a bookworm. Um, there were like three books in my life that I've really been like, oh, this is awesome. Next page. And, and, and that's about it. You know, I just, uh, I've never been a, a massive bookworm and I'm, I'm not a journaler. I should be, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I always, I'll get to the point like, man, I wish I would have written that down and written that down. Because now I'm like 43 and I, I'm sitting here going, I, I don't remember anything that happened from like 23 to 43. Like 20 years is gone and I have no idea what happened, what I learned. And yeah, I know cumulatively in my mind I have uh, you know this that I've learned and that that I've learned. and I can go. It, but Dave will look back and go, ah, that's where I learned that because this happened. You know, it would have sharpened me. So an encouragement to you, buy a journal, and I'm encouraging you, but I won't do it myself. So, <laughs> so but there, it's, it's an important way for us um, to be able to reflect, whatever it's going to be. But, but where David is saying here, I will freely sacrifice to you, freely. I'm going to offer sacrifices of praise to you. Not because I'm compelled to, not because somebody at church told me to or anything like that. I'm going to freely offer my sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. You know, David understood, I have victory in my life because God is good to me and he loves me. Verse 7, for he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemy. You know, David, David here is just saying, you know what? These guys were against me and all I had to do was cry out to the Lord and, I, and he was going to take care of me. You know, that look at that verse, <clears throat> because uh, when we reflect back, um, we can. Uh, this is another thing that um, I think that we can forget when we've offered a prayer to the Lord, crying out to him saying, God, I, this is more than I can handle. This is all these things that not only will we forget to praise, but we'll forget all about everything that's happened here. But what he says here is he has delivered me out of all my trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. God took care of everything, everything that insurmountable, whatever it was, financial thing, medical thing, whatever it was, when we can look back and go, oh, I had this uh, problem with, you know, a family member or friend or these things and just laying it out to the Lord and like, God, I don't know what to do. I've searched my heart and my mind and I know that I've done these things right. So I just need to lay this at your feet and ask you to take care of it. And when we can look back and understand how God has worked on our behalf and uh, that we that he is trustworthy, uh, that my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Uh, you know, that, that God took care of everything. 
you know, that, that uh, he doesn't need our help. And, you know, sometimes he calls us to, uh, uh, to get involved with certain things, but, uh, you know, he doesn't need us to do things where we're going to sit there and go, oh, hey, it was because of this. This is going to give me, um, you know, the credit for it. God wants all the credit for what he does. And, uh, and rightfully so, because then that puts our, our lives even in proper perspective where we know, oh, God did this. And it, and it enriches our relationship with him. So we covered three, uh, three chapters here. Um, I'd like to take some time uh, for us to pray together and share any prayer requests we have. Um, and next week we'll pick up in Psalm 55. We could have kept on trucking here, but um, we're going we're gonna to stop where we're at. Uh, and pick up in 55 next week. So um, let's pray, and then uh, we'll shut the thing off, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, spend some time together. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have so many reminders here of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And, Lord, your ability to restore, your ability to take care of things for us. Lord, we can learn from uh, the lives of wicked men. Uh, of, of ways not to do things in our lives, not to be driven by uh, the desire to uh, gain positions in those things, but to keep our integrity, to have our hearts set, to, re to resolve in our heart to praise you and to walk with you. So we thank you, we love you and praise you, and we ask you, God, to continue to build our faith and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.